Welcome to Account Trends, everybody. I'm Jason Stein with Intuit Accountants. My co-host, David Bergstein, and I are excited to be with you every couple of weeks to share the latest news, interesting perspectives, and hottest trends in the tax and accounting world. We'll have special guests on the show to help break these trends down and give you food for thought as you find new ways to deliver for your clients. But most importantly, we plan on having some fun while doing it. Welcome. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Account Trends. Your host here, Jason Stein. Uh, as always with me is Mr. David Bergstein, CPA and CITP and Alphabet Soup. How are you today, Mr. Bergstein? I'm doing wonderful day. Glad to see you today. You've moved far away from me, but uh, we're on opposite coast now. I'll, I'll never hear the end of it, too, will I? <laughs> Love you like a brother. Um, so, David, we have a guest today from your stomping grounds, uh, Ms. Shelley Weir, uh, president and CEO of the Florida Institute of CPA, uh, CPAs, or FICPA. Welcome, Shelley. Thank you so much, Jason, and thank you, we're- David, for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. I, I, you're kind of a unique guest because we've had you know people from all over the profession, but we haven't had anybody representing state societies before. I do, and now there's a debate about like what do we? Because you used to be called state societies. Is that still the case, or do what's the right terminology we use there? <laughs> Just hit me with the controversial question right out the gate. <laughs> In all sincerity, we are called state societies, which has been an adjustment for me. Um, I'm a 20-year association executive, and so my entire career, I've always referred to whatever association I worked for as an association. And so when I came here and heard the term society, it's been it's been an adjustment for me to kind of pivot my my terminology a bit. But either way, you say it, um, we're we're proud to represent the profession here in Florida. And we're number one in Florida. Just put that down, Jason. We're out of the <laughs> There's a lot of state societies. And with Shelley taking over and being very, very progressive, you're going to see a lot more happening uh, from the Florida CPAs as they move forward into what the new challenges are. Yeah, well, and I love that you said that, David, because, you know, and and you being the epitome of that, right? The, the uh, a millennial in the baby boomer's body, as you call yourself. You are among, uh, you know, the progressive uh, professionals that we have in our profession. And I think, you know, there's several state societies that that can can tout that their member bases along those lines. And, and Shelly, I think Florida definitely represents, you know, what would you say, um, you know, that 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 how what are, what are we doing differently in Florida that's that's keeping your member base, you know, really on top of their game with um, technology and the trends in the profession? Well, I think it all starts with education, right? I mean, whether it's, I I know that in state society land, we often like to think of education in the form of CPE for compliance purposes, but I really like to think of it broadly. It's how do we educate our members on the trends in the profession, um, educate them on what's happening from a regulatory landscape, and really serve as thought leaders to help them um, do their jobs better and be more progressive in their own businesses as well. So to me, it's all rooted in, in that education function. And that can certainly come in a number of different vehicles with its in-person conferences, webinars, self-study courses, whatever it might be, chat rooms, et cetera. But it's all rooted in education. You're singing my song. I know Blake Oliver, Oliver and I have actually had some conversations about CPE's role in our profession and a uh, little debating back and forth on, you know, 
what what does that what does that look like in the future? Um, and and I totally agree with you. You know, so much of our education traditionally has functioned as you know keeping up on your CPE is this obligatory thing. Um, and when you think about education from a more kinesthetic practical application perspective, um, which is you know I talk a lot about that myself. You're you're going to have a much stronger impact with you know the the people that that are are listening um, because no they don't doubt. want to just sit there and get CPE and be talked at for an hour. You know, no doubt. I mean, you look at some of the even just the apps that have come out in recent years that are popular by the general public. One of my new favorites is this one called Blinkist. If you guys have heard of that one, and what it does is it takes you know books for example, and it's almost like a cliff note audio version of hmm. a book. And so if you want to type in, you know, cryptocurrency for dummies, for example, it'll spit out a 15-minute summary of various different books or articles on things on that particular topic. And think about how that has changed how people want to digest information and learn things. Um, it's all in a completely different format now. And so to your point, we as state societies and as a profession as a whole, frankly, have to adjust how we think about getting that learning, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think it's welcomed too, right? I mean, with the, with the increasing popularity of just podcasts, like we're doing here, people are really embracing the, the more of the, I think the NASBO, NASBO would call it nano learning, right? It's, it's the shorter bite size, give me a piece of something and, and let's talk over a period of time instead of only having the option. Cause the events and the webinars never, that, that all has its place. And, and I'm not, you know, We'll keep doing that for years to come, I'm sure. Uh, but but that being the only way to learn uh, is is quickly becoming apparent that that people want more or different options. Most definitely. And that's one of the benefits that I have of being a member of the FICPA. I think you're offering us discounts on Blinkist now. Uh, <laughs> yes. to, to, you know, so even though I already have it, you know, it keeps you up to date. And one thing about all professions, whether it be the medical profession, the legal profession, uh, you have to continually learn. And learning is going on so fast. So being a member of the FICPA affords me many different places to go to get the information that will keep me able to help my clients. Right. And, and so kind of on that note, Shelley, tell it, can you tell us more about the role that state societies play in our profession? Because, I mean, there's plenty of state societies, even sub-chapters in some of the bigger states. And, um, you know, obviously education we've talked about a little bit, but but what what is it that, you know, that you're you're looking to accomplish uh, with, your, with your members? Well, I think, you know, for any association, whether it's in our profession or elsewhere, you know, associations really, I always put things into buckets, Jason. So you could put things into three main buckets. One is education. We've talked a little bit about that. The second one would be professional networking. And the third, which is really the most important, it's it's the it's the reason that we exist is advocacy. Um, and it doesn't matter if you are a professional association representing individuals or a trade association representing companies and, and businesses. At the end of the day, your singular purpose, if all else goes away, is to represent and protect the particular interests of the profession or industry that you serve. And so when you think about the role that associations play, the pandemic in, in many ways 
provided an opportunity to really put a spotlight on those advocacy efforts, which again is that single biggest value prop of any association. So, you know, I wasn't here quite yet when the pandemic was was starting and everybody was in quarantine and everything was just the sandstorm. But, you know, in our space, we were laser focused and frankly continue to be and will always be on protecting the profession and, and really helping our CPA members navigate the increasingly large volume of, of regulatory changes and making sure that we are protecting their interests in Tallahassee and Washington. And whether that comes in the form of, of helping to get relief with IRS service issues or protecting potential burdensome legislation from being introduced here in Tallahassee, it, it all plays a role. But it also gives us a unique opportunity to provide even more thought leadership on behalf of our members and the profession. And I would challenge any association that they should be leading their members through this time of change as we're coming out of the pandemic, helping our members identify areas of growth and opportunity or risks, um, helping them to understand how they need to adapt and, and innovate in this new norm that we're all living in and, and really showing them what's possible and, and maybe providing somewhat of a, of a roadmap for the future. Um, it doesn't matter what profession or what industry you represent. There's just a real opportunity there that I think each association has to grab onto to play a role in, in serving as that thought leader for the profession. You know, and, I, and the association as a, an advocate for the profession is really help, helping to elevate CPAs and even accountants on the side as CPAs become the most trusted advisors uh, based on advocacy. Uh, that people know they can rely on them as a trusted place to go uh, for, I'll call it financial literacy, as well as fiscal responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Shelly's done a great job because uh, even though I'm a millennial in a baby boomer's body, she got more millennials coming into the profession and joining uh, the group. And it's great when younger people get involved and see there's an opportunity for them to grow. Well, and that's perfect that you brought that up, David, because one of the next things I wanted to kind of start asking about, Shelly, is is the trends in the profession. And I know we've had some some conversations, you know, about uh, the talent and and it's on everybody's mind. Right. Um, so so what do you what do you think about that? What are you doing there that's, that's making David say, hey, you're doing a great job recruiting talent? Because across the board, you know, young people are looking at our profession and going. I don't want to work 60 to 80 hour work weeks. I don't want to be in an office all the time. I don't want to follow these strict requirements that that this profession has held. And they have this, this you know, idea in their head that a, a CPA or, or even any, you know, uncredentialed person, someone who, who does taxes and bookkeeping is just a guy behind a desk with a green visor with his punch calculator and the tape going, you know, and we... We, that is not our profession anymore. Um, not at so all. What are, not yeah, at what are your thoughts on that? What are you guys doing around this space? Well, let me, I'll give some, just some quick context to my background before I, I answer the question. But um, so I'm a lifelong association executive, but my background in particular is in career development. So most recently, I was senior vice president of career development at the American Hotel and Lodging Association. So I led basically all things pipeline training and education um, for the association and, and the hotel industry. So it's a, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And what's most interesting about it is that when I came into this role last year, 
the first thing I did was go out and try to meet with as many members as possible. And I'll touch on that in just a second. But what became clear to me on day one is that this talent issue is the single biggest issue facing the profession right now. And so it was so interesting because I remember a couple of months in, I said, well, gosh, I was just having this same exact conversation sitting in a different industry in a different association room just a couple of months ago. So it's quite interesting how some things do translate and then others, of course, um, don't. But let me just tell you, last year in the last 13, 14 months, if you will, I have traveled 15,000 miles around the state of Florida. I have gone and met with as many members as possible, all the way from managing partners down to entry-level folks. And the only thing that anybody wants to talk about is talent. So on the one hand, it's it's a good thing because we're not kind of in this boat alone. Everybody's facing the same challenge. Nobody has this silver bullet kind of figured out yet. The bad thing is that it's it's gotten so acute that it's the only thing anybody wants to talk about. So I think from the association's perspective, we play a very critical role in helping to solve for this challenge. Um, I would say associations at the state level really play three uh, primary roles. The first is in public affairs. So we talked a little bit about advocacy efforts a moment ago. From a public affairs perspective, associations really have to make sure that they are garnering campaigns that are targeted at growing awareness of the profession, really to both the public and to this next generation, this Generation Z. And that can come in a lot of different forms. It can come through things like marketing campaigns. Um, for example, you know, we love what the Center for Audit Quality is doing. We can touch on that in a bit um, around their pipeline research and, and accounting plus branding campaign, kind of using that content and getting it out at the state level, um, but also encouraging advocacy efforts that will drive change to help the talent issue. So as an example, we have been playing a big role in supporting AICPA and trying to get accounting recognized as a STEM field, which would allow a lot of critical grant funding to be released in the K through 12 space, um, specifically for supporting accounting education and awareness in the middle schools and high schools and even elementary schools to, to some degree. So one facet is the public affairs bucket. Um, the second bucket would be around programming. So a lot of state associations, ourselves included, will offer various types of career awareness or career development and education programs to help get folks excited about the profession. And then even once they're in the profession, continued professional development programming to keep them retained. Um, also offering a lot of scholarships through our 501c3 foundation to help um, limit those financial barriers that might exist towards either getting into the profession or staying in the profession. Um, and then the third bucket is, is to be a convener. If, if you think about the, the sort of audience that the state association plays with, right? From a state society perspective, we have relationships both with employers as well as with academia and in academia with students and with the schools and the professors. So it's frankly incumbent upon us to make sure that we are bringing those two worlds together and serving as um, a, a resource connector and a convener and a solution center um, in that capacity. So from the association perspective, how we play a role is again, public affairs, public awareness, legislation, et cetera, uh, programming efforts, and then being that convener between education and industry. I think the one thing that stands out in my mind from what you said, which probably everybody goes over their head, 
is the ability to get that STEM program so that younger people who never hear about accounting in grade school, mid school, high school, all of a sudden they're hearing about it at a lower level and then it becomes important as opposed to I never heard of accounting before. Exactly. I have I have two little boys, David, as David knows. My youngest is um six, about to be seven, and my oldest is nine. And my six-year-old quite literally has an obsession with counting money in his piggy bank. He does it <laughs> all the time. And I'm trying to educate him on how that will translate into a you know potential career in accounting one day. And it's amazing, even in first grade, how much they are aware of the different career possibilities that are around them. And I'm always thinking about how do we do a better job of educating them even at that level so that it's planted in their mind that this is a potential career for them. Well, and to take that a step further, right? That it's, it, well, while the counting of the money is sort of the foundation of it, right? This profession is no longer about just numbers. Everybody thinks accountant, they think, oh, number cruncher. I'm good with numbers, so I'm, I'm, I should go into accounting. Well, are you, are you also good with understanding, you know, how to, how to help people achieve their dreams and goals? Because that's really what we're evolving into is being, as David put it earlier, to break out the old gem of trusted advisor. We've been saying that for 20 years, right? <laughs> um, but it, it's becoming much more of a reality these days um, because, you know, you've got, uh, you've got your clients and the pandemic accelerated this, right? Your clients are coming out of the woodwork saying, I need help more than just a tax return. Um, or accountants started finally coming to the table and saying, hey, I can help you with this mm -hmm. beyond just doing your tax return and keeping your books. I am, I am more valuable to you than that. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And, I, and I'll tell you, I think that there's an opportunity there to reach the younger audience with that narrative. We have to shift that perception, like we've been saying. So if we know that, for example, advisory is the fastest growing space in our profession, we got to use that to our advantage. So you know, hey, kids, no matter what, being a strategic advisor for your clients, whether it's a small business or the Miami Dolphins, is really cool. And or being a CFO for the Miami Dolphins, also really cool. So we've got to play that language up to this younger generation to get them to see the possibilities that exist within the profession. Absolutely. David, were you going to say something? I'm going to say the future of accounting is all about imparting the knowledge and helping the clients be mm -hmm. more liquid, solvent, and profitable. And accounting, when you think about it, everything has changed because the process of accounting, which is the bookkeeping, recording, sorting, and summarizing, is all done digitally now. So that's why the accountant's role is becoming sexier in helping people <laughs> because the computers are doing it automatically. No more do I count money. Oh, that's what you were opening. For yes. We're, we're on audio. If you heard David crinkling, I thought he was having a piece of candy, which I, I thought was weird to do in the middle of a podcast. But no, I was, was, was going to show you, show you the money. He of fake money. Because <laughs> I use that to teach the students. Yes. It's not about the money. Yeah, it's it's not because the money comes naturally as as part of the work. And, you know, I I, I think. You know, it, we we underestimate the importance that this profession plays, the 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 role that that it plays in people's lives, um, and so I think it's great that we're 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 able to, you know, recognize that about how we're progressing and and evolving. But to your point, Shelley, 
and and I've heard Naba talk about this too. Like a lot of people are moving even further upstream, right? And I hear I hear accountants talk about well, I I recruit at colleges. It, you got to recruit earlier now. You got to yes. get earlier in their in their cycle and earlier into their education. Um, because we just still have a lot of work to do just debunking the myths mm-hmm. about this profession. And I think uh, it's also important to remember, you know, not only just for the awareness factor for the students, but if you think about the growth of dual enrollment programs in high school as well, kids are making decisions about what they want to do or what they want to major in earlier than ever before. So if we don't start to really find um, messaging and education that is sticky with them in middle school, it's going to become even more challenging to get them to turn towards us in high school. So it's all part of a larger conversation, truly. Yep. Yep. Uh, Yeah. I I mean, I can personally relate to that. My oldest daughter just went off to college in uh, the University of North, North Dakota, which I thought was a strange choice, but she was very precise in that decision. Uh, and the the reason why was because um, their psychology, uh, and she she determined probably ninth or tenth grade that she wanted to be in the field of psychology or psychiatry. She hadn't quite pinned down exactly where she wanted to be, but she knew that was the direction she wanted to go. And and she takes steps towards that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're you're exactly right. Me, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up until I was about thirty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, we've, we've got to, we've got to think about that. So how are you guys going about that then, uh, you know, helping to, to push the message and, and educate, you know, earlier in the, in the education cycles? Well, I think, you know, most importantly, I mean, my, my personal opinion here is that we really have to make sure that we are working together, um, as a profession to, to solve this issue. This is a complicated issue. There is no one silver bullet. There are folks out there that'll say, oh, if we do X, Y, and Z, that'll solve the issue and insert whatever that is. Right. And, and that's not true. This is a complicated issue. So what we really need is every major stakeholder group. And, and this is starting to happen, which is so beautiful to see, you know, between AICPA and NASBA and the state societies and academia and employers be at the same table, working together with one united voice. If we all try to do different things or frankly, put different messages out into the marketplace, we're not going to get very far. We, but we each have a, a distinct role to, to play in that. So. When I think about the state association, for example, and I think about working together and working smarter and not harder, we're obviously really excited to, um, you know, I know AICPA has got some great piloting going on with some high schooling programs. We want to make sure, again, the STEM initiatives, et cetera, that whatever happens, we are responsible for implementing that here in Florida and working with our um, school system to do so. And at the same time, we're also, as I mentioned earlier, really excited to see what the Center for Audit Quality is pushing out with the Accounting Plus initiative um, and brand awareness and messaging campaign. All of that has been rooted in research around what's going to get this generation excited about a career in the accounting sector. So we want to be able to take those key messages and those key themes and be able to, um, you know, infiltrate Florida with that, whether it's through public awareness campaigns at the schools or with the public or what have you, as I mentioned. So we're really excited to kind of play our role in the larger strategy, if you will. 
But one thing I would say, I think, you know, if we think about how do we make this profession sexy and attractive, how are we getting these these young CPAs excited about accounting right now? Um, one of my biggest pieces of advice, and I and I saw this in the hotel industry, and, it, and it's very much present here in accounting as well, because it's it's not specific to any one profession. But students and young adults today want a clear visual representation early on day one or even before then of what their career pathway is going to look like, what it could be, what it should be. If I start here, where can I go? If I start here, what skills do I need to get to the next step and then to the next step and so on and so forth? They want kind of this clear path to the top. And it it kind of makes sense when you think about it, because this is the YouTube and Amazon generation, right? Mm -hmm. This is the Amazon generation in way of like, I want something and I want it delivered to my house tomorrow. Because right? <laughs> right? that's I don't what we have come to, to expect. Yeah. Exactly. And be patient. But then they're also the YouTube generation. So if they want to learn how to do something or they need more information about something, what do they do? They go on YouTube or TikTok or whatever and they watch a video on it. So it's not all that surprising to think that they want some type of visual representation on what their career is going to look like or could look like. And, and in what time frame? So I think the more and state societies certainly play a role in cultivating this content and providing it to our membership, that we can put those types of frameworks together. It's going to help get folks um, attracted to the profession, but also make it stickier for them to stay in it so that they can see where they can go in the long term. You know, that makes me think of a, a, a quote, a colleague of mine, Jim Buffington, always says, and I, I echo it all the time. Education is the hallmark of our profession. Mm-hmm. And I think that ties nicely to how we kicked off the podcast episode too. You know, education plays a role all throughout the process, all the way up to and including helping educate people about what our profession even does. And and whether that means, you know, the people that the the, the young people that hear that message, it excites them to become accountants. Or at minimum, it just better clarifies what this profession actually does and the impact that it has on people's lives. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a a great spot to wrap things up. Uh, Shelly, if people want to connect with you and learn more from you, how would you advise they do so? Well, first off, I'm extremely active on LinkedIn. So I hope that everybody listening will send me a message and connect with me on LinkedIn. Shelly Weir, W-E-I-R. Connect with me there. We can personally message back and forth. Also, please visit our website, FICPA.org, or send me a personal email, Shelly at FICPA.org. We'd love to hear from you and get you involved in the association and, and frankly, also hear what challenges you're facing and how we can help. Outstanding. Shelly, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Jason. And thank you to David. David is an amazing advocate and and member and partner for us. And we're grateful for you. And I hope to be able, uh, Jason, maybe I'll come out. It's a little hot here in Florida. I'd like to come visit you in Washington State. Come on up. We got a guest room. Get out of the uh, the fall weather that we're having here in uh, late September. But I hope to see you soon in person, Jason. And David, I'll see you soon, I know. Outstanding. Yes. And and David, thank you as well. And and, uh, yeah, you know how much I appreciate you as well. And uh, you're trying to say something, but you're on mute. I have one more thing I need to say. If someone wants to get in touch with Shelly, even though they're not a CPA, but maybe they want to work with the FICPA as a sponsor because they're in the software field, she likes those kind of calls too. Definitely. (laughs) Thanks for the plug, David. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And we'll uh, 
catch up more with our next guest next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star review. If you want to learn more about any of the topics discussed on the show, visit intuitaccountants.com forward slash podcast. Account Trends is produced and edited by Luke Johnston. Copyright Intuit 2022.